The comedian Patton Oswalt has starred in TV and movies like the sitcom The King of Queens and the animated film Ratatouille. He got his start in stand-up comedy, and he told me he always thinks of that work as issues of a magazine. My first album, I'm, and I talk about, I'm single, I'm going to stay single, no way am I getting married, no way am I having kids. Then on my second one, I'm in love, I'm thinking of getting engaged, then I'm talking about, oh my, we're about to have a baby, then in the next one, I'm, my fatherhood. Unfortunately, then the special that I'm working on for the summer is going to be about me being a widower and dealing with grieving and different, okay, here's where I am now. Last April 21st, one day before his stand-up special Talking for Clapping was released on Netflix, Patton Oswalt's wife, Michelle McNamara, died unexpectedly. The two have a daughter together. Alice is now seven years old. Months after his wife's death, Oswalt won a Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album and his first Emmy Award for that Netflix special. This was from his acceptance speech. uh, I want to share this with two people. One of them, my daughter Alice, is waiting at home. The other one is waiting somewhere else, I hope. Oswald has now returned to the stand-up stage. Last week, he headlined two shows here in Washington, D.C. And I asked him, in a year that was professionally one of his best and personally his absolute worst, how was he doing? I had a friend who, especially since November, his standard greeting to people is, uh, so otherwise, how you doing? (laughs) Because there's just this overall gloom, political, psychological, emotional tension and gloom. So it was interesting for him to put it that way. I'm like, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have a friend who answered that question every time. No worse than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've learned since what happened to me happened is you don't know the kind of pain and loss other people may have gone through, even close friends and acquaintances. It almost feels like a secret society that you were always surrounded by, that your friends were a part of, that you didn't learn that yeah. you were a part of, that existed until suddenly you were against your will inducted into the secret society. Yeah. In really awful science fiction terms, it is like putting on the sunglasses in They Live and then seeing the world for what it really is. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, I knew there was loss and death and depression, but you can only sympathize so far until it directly happens to you. You easily could have kept doing movies and TV after Michelle's death and put yourself into a character that has nothing to do with your own life Mm -hmm. and stayed in Los Angeles. And instead, you've chosen to go out and bear yourself on a stage and talk about your life and yourself in front of a bunch of strangers. Why? I think the reason that I'm still doing stand-up is because before the movies and television and before the books, stand-up is what brought me into this world where I get to link up with way more creative, way more intelligent people than I am ever going to be. And to cut that off, it felt like an insult to Michelle, especially because the person that I was before I met Michelle was very, you know, I think I was an okay comedian. I don't think I was very deep uh, and vulnerable. And then after you know, falling in love with her, she led me to being secure enough to open myself up on stage. So then to completely reject that would have felt very, very insulting to her. And very, and also, I remember when I initially started talking about it on Facebook, people reached out to me and said, oh, that really, really helped me. And it, and it really helped me to get over my grief. Like, I take part in a grief group. Like, helping other people out who are going through this. This is a very selfish thing, but it helps me out. 
And so are you consciously pursuing that in your comedy sets these days? Are you getting on stage with the goal of helping someone who's going through grief? No, it doesn't sound I, like a comedy goal. No, I, I'm not going. My goal, as always, is I want to be funny and I want to get laughs. But laughter, I think, can loosen up a lot of poison that has kind of settled into your muscles and your soul, not to get too Oprah about it. And maybe incidentally, I'm helping someone out with their grief, but I'm not going on stage and sitting in a chair and go, let's talk everyone. I'm <laughs> wandering around and, and <clears throat> griping about Trump and movies and life and getting older. I mean, a thing that I talk about is how much pop culture failed me. I could reference movies, comic books to make sense of a situation and this is the one thing where i absolutely cannot because so much of especially the comic book heroes and people that i like daredevil batman john wick a part of their motivation is based on losing someone that they love mm -hmm. which then of course leads them to travel the world learning martial arts and doing crossfit and getting really cut right. and that's not been my experience when you lose someone you tend to eat wheat thins for breakfast and rewatch the princess bride about 80 times um, and not sleep all that well so my i don't know when the push-ups are going to show up in my <laughs> grieving process but i just think like if bruce wayne bruce wayne saw his parents gunned down in front of him when he was nine, and he travels the world and becomes this amazing hand-to-hand. -hand. That's ridiculous. He would have grown up to have been Gotham City's most annoying slam poet. That's who Bruce Wayne would have been. And he would have been up there reading his horrible poems. You know, maybe Alice will become the superhero. Uh, hopefully, yes, because that's not happening with me. She died in April. April 21st. And so we are almost at the point where it will no longer be the first Christmas without know, her, the first Mother's Day without her, the first birthday without her. Does that make it easier to reach a level of normalcy or does it make it harder to acknowledge that you're moving farther and farther away from the time that she was around? God, that's, yes, that's exactly the conundrum. That's the conundrum because I've you know, talked to my friends who've gone through this and they say, yeah, it is easier once you get to the one-year mark. Because the first, all these firsts are, I, I was told flat out, yeah, Christmas is going to be horrible. And so will New Year's, so will, and especially overall 2017 is awful because at least in 2016, I had three months and 21 days of Michelle being in there. And now this is a year where there's no Michelle, and like, that's it. So when January 1st dawned, it felt like a cell door slamming behind me. Like, you are now in this awful world where there, you don't even have a memory of her being a part of this year. Yeah. Um, what's the line from, you know, there's that famous line from Magnolia, which was a quote from Michael Penn originally, which was um, the guy going, well, I'm, I'm through with the past. And the guy says, well, the past isn't through with you. And that is exactly what this is. You know, you can say you're through with grief all you want, but grief will let you know when it's done. Patton Oswald, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me in. Um, listeners, sorry for bumming you out. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Go walk for half an hour. It'll flood you with endorphins. Do you think listeners who tune into this expecting you to make them laugh are going to be disappointed? Oh, yeah, what am I saying? You're NPR listeners. You're used to being bummed out. Now let's cut to some sad jazz. <laughs> 
Uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk about uh, things to do with sorghum. It's sorghum season. <laughs> and then we'll be uh, reading uh, from Newt Hampson's new 800-page book about a bowl of cornflakes that he ate. I can tell you're an avid listener. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.